Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 229, Beyond Bright Lights, Doing Cyberpunk Differently. Presented by Jacqueline Brick, Kate Bullock, and Hamish Cameron. Alright. What up, nerds? Hey, nerds, what up? We don't actually have to use our microphone. We might might need to use our microphone, actually. Can you hear us in the back? Also, like, please feel free to come closer because there aren't a whole lot of people in this panel. Join us at the front of the room. Yes, please. Like, seriously, come, come closer. If you're in the back, Lisa. I'm situated where my luggage will get Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. That's fine. That's fine. Say what you want. It's, it's, it's more punk. It, it is more punk. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty punk. Actually. Actually, yeah, if we just leave the microphones on and then yeah. just leave them on the table. That'll be good. Is that better? Cool. Perfect. Hi. Uh, welcome to Beyond Bright Lights, doing cyberpunk differently. Literally the entire conception in this panel is I want to hear Kate and Hamish yell about cyberpunk with me for an hour. So I'm sort of moderating. Um, I'll also be offering some spicy hot takes on cyberpunk. Nothing but the spiciest takes. Uh, the spice must flow, my friend. <laughs> good. The spice must flow. And Kate is just over here, having looked back at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, being a pillar of salt. I'm just not feeling well, so I'm going to be a little bit quieter. <laughs> I, I was making a salt joke. I thought it was really good. I'm not, I don't have a sense of humor. At I some know. point, one of us will say something so outrageous that Kate has to burst into it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be good. I really hate jokes. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well. So we're going to do a quick introduction beyond me being spicy, Kate being salty, and Hamish being a kiwi. Um, it's legit. Um, but I'm Jax. Um, I am a 2016 Golden Cobra winner, and I also freelance for many, many different uh, companies, including Galileo Games, Onyx Path Publishing, White Wolf, um, Ulysses North America, and a couple others. So we'll start with Hamish. Uh, so I'm Hamish Cameron, I'm the writer of The Sprawl and its various uh, supplements. Um, I've also done a uh, a setting in Fraser Simons' uh, Veil expansion slash book 2 Cascade, uh, which was a sort of uh, epic Greek take on Cyberpunk, uh, which comes from my background as an ancient historian, which is my day job. Cool. I'm Kate, I'm a community organizer, blogger, podcaster a bunch of things. I also was in the same Veil Supplement Cascade um, and helped Fraser with some of the things he struggled with in the Veil. <laughs> uh, I'm also working on a game with Jonathan Valley called Awoke, which is about kids in the dark future trying to fight back. Alright, so when y'all read the title of this panel, Beyond Bright Lights Doing Cyberpunk Differently, what is the first thing that popped into your head? Like, what did you think we were going to talk about on this panel? Doing anything with uh, runners. Wow, you're amazing. You're like like psychic. This is crazy. All right. Anybody else? 
Cyberpunk dodges over and misses or omits. Awesome stuff. All right. So let's let's sort of like start a little more generally with your take, and then we will move into runners. Don't worry, I, I have I have only the most nuclear takes on what we are referring to as edge runners in this panel, so as not to shit on Shadow Run, which is actually one of my favorite games. But we move on. Edge runners or edgy runners? Not edge runners. Because it sounds more edgy. Yeah. At least you thing. would step back from that edge, my friend. Sorry. Um, it's Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning. Ha-cha-cha. You didn't know there were going to be musical numbers in this panel, did you? Whoa. Okay. So, we'll, we'll start with a very basic question. Uh, who are sort of the people of cyberpunk worlds? Either one of you can answer this. Who are sort of the people of cyberpunk worlds beyond the special people? Like... Let's sort of establish a definition of normal and special in a cyberpunk world. I think you, you two should go first on this, given the answers that you put in the doc. <laughs> Sorry to dump that on you, Kate. Nothing about this topic. Oh, no, <laughs> you thought Jax was giving the spicy takes. The people of cyberpunk that we get to experience are, by and large, straight white men who are exceptional in their mediocrity. Um, there's a large and very healthy and beautiful fiction base for cyberpunk that is written by women of color and trans people and non-binary people, but for some reason, gaming can't keep up to literature that's been around for 20 years. Only one that's been around for 40. Wow. So the people left behind in cyberpunk are everybody else. Yeah. At least in gaming. Uh, and it's actually really interesting because one of the biggest cyberpunk novels that most of my straight white male gamer design friends read is... Anybody want to guess? Mm, close. Snow Crash. But Snow Crash actually has a queer male protagonist of color. Mm-hmm. It also has the sexualization of a 13-year-old girl, which is pedophilia. It absolutely does. Bunch of racism. I'm aware. <laughs> Thank you. I was. Th- I didn't say it was without problems. Yeah. I know. Can't Snow Crash. <laughs> I also. It's okay. I also can't Snow Crash. But literally, the protag of that book, whose name is Hero Protagonist, which also pisses me off, um, is specifically trying to avoid the whole thing of being a hero. And that's not what anybody talks about when they talk about Snow Crash. They're like, oh my god, it's this, you know, seminal uh, cyberpunk work where, you know, a lot of the tropes are established and it's really important and it's like... Well, the two characters of color are actively trying to avoid responsibility or, like Kate said, being sexualized at 13. So, I mean, it's it's an extremely problematic book, but it also pisses me off that I think... Wasn't the 13-year-old character also black? Like, no, I honestly can't remember. I think she was. I don't... I'm sorry. But, like, there are people of color in Snow Crash... And nobody fucking remembers it. All they remember is the katanas. It's just the katanas and the hoverboards. And also the sexy 13-year-old girl, so... One thing I'd say about Snow Crash is that it's interesting that Snow Crash has become, as you say, a kind of seminal cyberpunk work when when Snow Crash is kind of like the first wave of parody of original cyberpunk. Like, it's definitely not 
supposed to be like I mean it is it, it is a seminal work in part because it distills the tropes of the early stuff and then kind of like squeezes them into a parody and so that's interesting that now that is one of the things that we look back on is like oh mm. there's Neuromancer and the Snow Crash and you know we forget about even the people at the even the even um, Pat Cadigan like at the very yeah. beginning yeah. right the woman who was part of the, the original movement tends to get less yeah like play and we just go straight to those two and then yeah no absolutely yeah. Then um, it leaves uh, literature usually yeah. and goes into like Ghost in the Shell or oh, Ghost else. in the Shell. Yeah. Great <laughs> anime, horrible movie. Um, Wait, the live action movie? The live action movie was garbage. Okay, okay. yeah, it was very pretty. It was very pretty. That's something I actually really love about cyberpunk. If I say layer cake cities during this panel, do people know what I mean? Nope. Tell me what layer cake cities means. So it's my term for the sort of city where you have like miles tall buildings that have skywalks and different actual neighborhoods the farther up you go Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is one of my favorite things about cyberpunk right right i love that aesthetic it's and then metropolis is the first cyberpunk movie yeah i actually love metropolis metropolis is a great movie has everyone seen metropolis like the 1920 yeah like 1919 german silent film oh it's so good also a really good take on pandora says the classes yeah the pandora myth um, but also just Maria being the sort of Peter Pan collared, like mystic prophet mm-hmm. in this very dark mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm. Just oh my god, I love her so much. I love her so much. Uh, also, Robot Maria is great. Yes, yeah, that's uh, definitely worth a look. That movie. Yeah, um, it's the only movie where you will get to see an actress wrestle herself to death, and it's it's amazing. It's very very good. Kate is just. I believe you. Okay. <laughs> um, did we answer? Did we? Did we talk enough about the people thing? No, know. because we we're, we're, we're. We got distracted. Okay. We got really distracted. <laughs> so the other thing about so, the people thing. Uh, so, uh, did you quite? So yeah. one of the things you'll see a lot in cyberpunk, and especially in sort of like spinoff movements like Outrun or Vaporwave or anything, is this sort of fetishization of anything Asian, which is weird. I know why. Um, because it's always combined with white people, right? Like even in something like Firefly, which isn't exact, which is not particularly cyberpunk, you have this whole like, oh yeah, no, the universe is actually mostly run by Chinese people, except nobody speaks good Chinese. All of the main characters, with the exception of like two, are white, and it's a cowboy story. And so the whole Chinese thing is just thrown in, thrown in there to be like, oh, look how inclusive we are, but the only Chinese people we see are in the background, and they're eating dogs, or they're sex workers. And that happened, I mentioned that because that happens a lot in cyberpunk, because you will see in the layer cake cities, you'll sort of see, like, the neon Mandarin characters, or people speaking Cantonese in the background. And then your mains, as Kate said earlier, are... White and like this has gotten a little bit better with games illustration, especially in the past couple of years. I know um, Shadowrun, the new edition, actually has people of color illustrated as sort of the main characters, um, especially in like their quick start roles and in their Fey book. But most people you see running Shadowrun are. 
Why? I'm just gonna keep doing this every time because we know we know the answer now. I actually wanted to fiend Shadowrun a little bit here, and I think this, I don't know if this is entirely intentional. Have you read um, the, there was an article in Waypoint about a new a game about uh, colonization and dragons that was by uh, Dia Kina, I think that's how you pronounce her name. Okay, their name. I'm I can't, I'm not sure their pronouns. Um, and they are a uh, trans person of color, um, and they their experience of Shadowrun, and this was something I hadn't really considered, was interesting in that Shadowrun, in a very kind of clumsy way, opens up a space for people of color to act in a way that other like games at the time yeah. didn't. No, definitely. Right? But the way that it like foregrounds the story of the kind of conflict between corporate Western America and like native modernizing magical yeah. tribalism which itself is like super problematic right but it <laughs> foregrounds those yeah. but it, and, and gives a space for action that engages with, with those um, in a way that a lot of other things in the 90s didn't yeah no really. absolutely because there was the whole there was the whole thing in uh, Shadowrun about indigenous cultures in the US mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and in Mexico and even though as technology still exists um <laughs> No, it you, it does very very clumsily mm -hmm. open up that space, which is not say, something we were seeing a whole lot of. Right, in and the art in the original book is actually like one of the most represented. It's, is it? Yeah, it's actually pretty good. Oh, okay. yeah. I, will have, I will have I will have to look into in that. Art, yeah. Um, I do want to make a good recommendation for uh, a cyberpunk novel that you all should read. Um, while we're here, because mostly I've just been dropping the Serrano level takes here, um, but. It is called The Summer Prince. Oh, yes. It's so... Ah, uh, someone's read it. Um, yeah. No, it's very, very good. Um, I'm trying to remember... Elena Don Johnson. Thank you. the name of the author. She also just brought out a book called Love is the Drug, oh. which is about young people who are um, in a dark future that's very American corporate and very... Um, on point with what's happening in the U.S. today, and uh, there's a disease breaking out, and these young, privileged cyberpunk kids end up in quarantine yep. and having to witness what it means to lose that privilege. Yep. Um, she's an amazing author. Uh, she's really good. A lot of her works are what uh, we used for Awoke in terms of inspiration. Awesome. Mm. So I, I couldn't remember. Yep. It is Layer Cake City because, um, if I remember correctly, these the pyramids. It's it's actually a pyramid city. It's set in Brazil. Yeah, it's set in Brazil. Um, I, I couldn't remember her name off the top of my head because I remember one of the people who reviewed her books was like Christine Larbalestier, which literally just means like long crossbowman. Yeah. And, and that's like the thing I remember <laughs> about the people who worked on the book. But um, no, it has a, it has all three main characters are people of color. And in fact, the main female character talks about you know, the beauty of dark skin in a way that is not fetishized because she herself is also dark skinned. And there's a total rejection of the young adult novel Love Triangle. They wind up actually in a polyamorous triad for part of the book. And there is the best female masturbation scene, hi Jason, in all of young adult literature. And it's just, it's such a good book. Please read it. It's very good. It's so matriarchal. Yeah. They don't make a big deal of that. It's just very clearly matriarchal. 
And so it's it's also a dystopia, which is something that concerned me a little bit at first, because I'm like, well, if it's a matriarchal dystopia, is that saying that women shouldn't be in power? And it's actually less about the women being in power and more about how tradition both helps and hinders us. It's very, very good. Um, I actually want to move on a little bit to um, who exists within the law and doesn't have the freedoms of a shadow runner. Here's something interesting about cyberpunk. Out of cities that supposedly have millions or hundreds of millions of people, and like the biggest city I've ever been to was Chengdu in China, which looks like a cyberpunk city on its own and has only 14 million people, which is twice the size of New York City, by the way. Um, but in these cyberpunk cities that have like tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people, the only people we ever get to interact with are the maybe hundred who are edge runners right? Everybody else in cyberpunk is either an obstacle or a disposable asset. So. I mean, so are the, I mean, I guess it depends on your take on cyberpunk, but right. at least in the sprawl, so are the edge runners. Like everyone, sure. they, one of the conceits, at least in the cyberpunk as I conceive of it, is that, and as I wrote it in that game anyway, everyone is disposable, even the special right. people. But then it becomes, as Kate says in our, because we have our little draft. Here. As Kate says in the draft, because yeah, <laughs> literally Kate just organized our entire panel, and now I'm moderating it. And by moderating it, I mean having spicy takes, because um, that's how I moderate panels. <laughs> but it's just sort of this idea that it's more cyber and less punk, right? Yeah, and I guess the thing about that is like, what? A, how separable are they? They're extremely separable. Are they? I, I think so. I think... I have such anger about this sometimes. All right. No, no, go so ahead. That is what we are here for. if you're going to talk about cyberpunk as a genre, and you're only going to talk about cyberpunk in those two books, which are the most common ones everyone's mm. going to talk about. In those two uh, what, sorry? The two books we mentioned. Those two books. Oh, sure. Yep. And, Neuromancer. Um, um, Neuromancer. Yep. Um, those people aren't punky. Right? A punk fights the system. That's what punk is about. An edge runner who's gonna like live fast, die hard, and leave a good-looking corpse, and make some like cred on the way, and and not really care if he sells out his buddies. What system is that fighting, or is it holding up the system? Most of those people are inherently holding up the system. That is not punk. That is just some cyber aesthetic. Cause yeah. Like, Cause like a lot of when I play Shadowrun, one of my favorite Shadowrun characters was actually um, the bastard daughter of Damien Knight, the guy who runs Ares Technology, the the weapons group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And her whole thing was, hey daddy, I gotta go do a thing. Can I have some money? And then she would like go and uplift this entire family who wasn't supposed to be wealthy. And I, and I think that's great, yeah. but I don't think it should be on the player. No, I agree. To initialize punk in a genre called cyberpunk. Well, I think here there's an interesting question about the genre, though, because I think the punk in cyberpunk actually more refers to the meta level at which the authors at the time are writing in the 80s, oh, yeah. originally, originally anyway, where they are seeing themselves as what was what they originally conceived of as the movement against the kind of, like, 60s kind of, everything in the future is going to be great and shiny and cool. Oh, that, yeah. Right? Yeah. So the, the punk there is more about the genre label in a way. But now that we now we now that the genre is established, we kind of take it as like 
oh well it's it, everything in it should be punk and everything in it totally can be punk but I think that's a slightly different thing than the original way the label came about sure. which is not to say that we like, I think you're absolutely right like we need these punk stories in the genre I know I, I think you're right I, I think we also need to note though that when a lot more diverse writers started coming in to write cyberpunk the men who held that space said cyberpunk is dead mm-hmm. oh it's, it's post cyberpunk no, it's no. post cyberpunk so they invalidated that movement because they were gatekeeping it yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, sure, it may have started punk uh-huh, that uh-huh. way. Right, right. But they just became the very thing. Yeah. yeah. They became their own literature. Mm-hmm. If you look too deeply into the cyberpunk, the cyberpunk will look back into you. Investors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, something I sort of want to return to is this whole idea that, like, when you play a cyberpunk game, you are playing an edge runner. Right, like this is something you and I talked about at Breakout last year. Yeah, which is usually the sort of stand, industry standard for a cyberpunk right, game. Right, right, right. Is you are playing an edge runner. You are if you're in the sprawl. You're, what do, what are what do you call them? Uh, there isn't like operatives or operatives, something. Yeah, like, and you're, yeah, you're an edge runner. Yeah, in the in the in the veil, I think you're just mission specialists. I, I don't remember. The veil is so loose in terms of like yeah. the setting structure. The, I feel like it. The you, veil, but you're special. Walks yeah. along the transhumanist line really, really finely. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of cyberpunk, but it's also post cyberpunk and post human trans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of things. The yeah. same as I, Headspace as well. You're a mission. Yeah. You're it, like a. You are explicitly like someone who is so badass that they are actually directly responsible for some of the problems that are happening in yeah. the society right yeah. now, right? So we're talking so, about... So, yeah, like life. you are someone who people approach in a dark alley or in the back of a club, and mm-hmm. they're like, I have a mission for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I think, directly traceable to Shadowrun in a lot of ways. Uh, and Cyberpunk 2020, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely more of the Shadowrun strain of that, where the yeah. mission became the thing. Right? Yeah. And I think, like, what you said at the start, that, like, when you play a Cyberpunk game, you're doing that... I think then when you clarified that to say that when you're playing in kind of what we might think of as industry standard cyberpunk game, yeah. that's that's what yeah, that no, is. No, right? absolutely. That, that is the norm, but that is absolutely not the definitive limit of no, cyberpunk. No, no, right? no, 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 not yeah. at all. That's it. That's in fact what this panel is about. I know, yeah, right. It's almost like I read what we, we might be <laughs> wow, talking about. Wow, it's like we have, have this, you know, <laughs> oh man, it's like we planned the Illuminati or present. It's Sunday morning, guys. Woo, okay. Yeah, it's Sunday morning. Hi, guys. I hope you're enjoying this panel so far. (laughs) 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 Sorry, uh, very off topic. I thought you said boo in a really excited way. (laughs) Sorry, like very off topic. I was mentioning to someone recently that I'm a woo girl when I drink, and they're like, you should make a social LARP where being a woo girl is a mechanic. So, like, one of them has to go woo, and everybody else has to go woo. I'm a woo girl when I'm sober. Same, right? Yeah. Same. Same. Woo! Woo! Sorry, Jason. I'm not sorry. <laughs> the only person, as long as the levels are all right. The only person I'm sorry look? to is, is Kate right, right now clipping? because yeah. Kate looks like she would rather eat a flaming pile of dog poop than be here. No, not quite. Not okay, quite. Okay, so maybe not <laughs> flame, maybe not flaming then. Not flaming. Okay. Okay, cool. But yeah, so back to the actual topic, which is what we were talking about. I promise we will get an answer to this eventually. How can you play someone who isn't an edge runner? in a cyberpunk game. I'll start with you, because we've had this conversation. But I didn't go to your Honobono panel. That's okay. (laughs) 
Um, I mean, there are a ton of people in the world, uh, and certainly the way that the way that games work is through kind of abstraction and aggregation of, of things into different groups. But you choose that, right? As a designer, you choose who gets abstracted and who gets aggregated. Uh, in in the sprawl, for example, the corpse are totally abstracted and aggregated. Can we don't you, really can you see. Define abstracted. Yes, and I can. Thank you. Uh, everything in the world, everything everything that we design is an abstraction. It is taking. It is not a one to one representation of space or of reality. Some things that we want to focus on become the thing that we focus on. Right. Right. So whether that's like your stats, right? We can't define a human by six D and D stats, but we can define an abstraction of a human using those stats, right? And the stats we choose will say a lot about what we want the game to do. Okay. Right? And just in the same way, whether it's at a strictly kind of mechanical level like that, we can also do that at a world level, right? Right. Some things can be abstracted. So in most cyberpunk games, it's everyone other than the edge runners. Right. But you could flip that, right? Okay. You could equally flip that and say, okay, the edge runners are an abstraction. Um, and we're going to look at the people and whatever kind of people you want to focus on, right? Because there right. are a lot of people in the world that could be focused on. Absolutely. Um, who are doing things, right? And you don't have to be... Like, I guess this, the cyberpunk as kind of the industry standard, to just keep using that term, focuses on a certain special set of people with a special set of skills. But there are other people who do things that have skills that can tell other stories. I think that's why I really like Cyber Generation as a game. Because mm-hmm. you played the kids of Edge Runners. Mm-hmm. Every generation rebels against the morals and ethics of their parents. So they wouldn't sell out. They wouldn't leave a man behind. They wouldn't like bend to the man. Like they were, they were kids who were like, "Fuck our parents suck." <laughs> half of them are dead. Yep. <laughs> the other half abandoned us, or they're high. That was a great game. I love that game. I'm really sad it doesn't run at double exposure events anymore because it used to run every year. Yeah. So my co-author for Awoke, Jonathan Lavalli, was the one who ran those LARPs. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's a good bean. Cyber Generation LARPs. Yeah. yeah. They were great. Um, oh. My now husband played an 11 year old who had a teddy bear that had an actual calm from his dad in the teddy bear. So it would occasionally be like, you know, hey, I need you to help me run things to, from point A to point B. And sometimes he'd accept and sometimes he'd just go, no, throw the teddy bear into a corner. Um, but yeah. There was so, a question at the back. Yeah. Did we want to? Oh, it's not, and it's something I dislike in D and D too. Okay. Uh, it's it's actually a personal irritation for me when games have a special cast that they focus on, because I've discovered through more exploration and you know playtesting and really just engaging with material that I like if a game is going to give me a really rich world with a lot of different options to play with. I want to play one of those options. I don't want them to be told that I am going to give you 100,000 words of world building, and then we're just going to narrow onto a single point, which is the only point you can move throughout the world. Like, it's actually... I Has anybody here played Red Markets or read Red Markets? Yep. I actually really like Red Markets what a is lot. Red Markets? Red Markets is a zombie game where the real horror is capitalism. And Good. it's... It's very. It's actually written by economists. 
-hmm. And there's some extremely problematic parts in the game, like why the fuck did you nuke the southern Canadian border? Congratulations, you've just destroyed 20% of the fresh water in the world. <laughs> but not everybody cares about nuclear weapons in this panel, so I'll have to do another panel about that some other day. <laughs> what, who doesn't? In what way? No, this is like, <laughs> this is a side topic. We'll have to discuss it later. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, but Red Markets just has this gorgeous uh, two chap uh, two chapter, and by two chapter I mean half the book, um, world building, essentially novel at the beginning of the book that is this very unreliable narrator who is a queer woman of color who actually caused a major rebellion that split the U.S. in two, and she's incredible. Her name is Nat. She is my very problematic daughter, and I love her. Um, but they take this novel, and they go into such detail about the world and who lives there and what their values are and, you know, what they do and, you know, how that's important to people of different, I don't know, I guess cast, cast I'm just going to keep using cast because cast is a great way to define things because role-playing games are always putting uh, abstractions into all of these neat little boxes so it's easier to consume. Um, but then after world building, it goes, oh, by the way, your characters are takers. Takers are essentially edge runners in this game. Or it's like, you're hopping the border to go get necessary supplies and then you're coming back or maybe you're smuggling people. You're smugglers. The game is you are playing smugglers in a zombie wasteland. When is the game from? Uh, it's very recent. Okay. It is right. last year. Last year. Okay, yeah. all right, cool. Uh, I strongly recommend you pick up the book if you can, because even with its problems, it is a beautiful and fresh take on the genre, and I, I adore it. And also the writers are super nice. But the whole thing is just kind of, why are you giving me all of this data if you only want me to use, like, maybe a fourth of it? Why... Why is all of this being pushed to the side so I can just play this one track of character? And that's something that bugs me about Cyberpunk is you're telling me that this is a city of, I don't know, 50 million people. It's full of, you know, nascent AI and, like, if we're playing Shadowrun, dragons and, you know, weird cyborg people and... Yes Men and Dangerous Corporate Operatives and we have a favorite noodle shop we go to which is something I am going to talk about in a minute. And I am the person who has no connections because connections are dangerous and I'm just running in between different city spaces and I don't really have a... We have a term for those people in the New Zealand role-playing scene. Okay. I, I think it's just the New Zealand term. Baylor? Does anyone know that term? No, no, no. Please, please explain. Badass loner who lives by their own rules. Oh. I love that. It's a particular type of character that like, certain people play that trope. But what I wanted to say about that is that I think that gets an interesting point, right? Because we kind of drifted from cyberpunk to this like zombie thing. Mm -hmm. And that's... Because this isn't just a cyberpunk no, issue, No, it's really, absolutely not. Right? The issue that you describe this massive, deep, rich world, and then we play like a set of protagonists who fit with a certain type, usually, and this is sort of, again, if we want to talk about industry standard, who are sitting, fitting... Who are, good at a certain type of narrative the narrative of the specialists who are doing the thing and they are the special people and only they can save the world yeah right this certain type of narrative and i'm, I'm extremely glad that in the kind of current like game moment and by current i guess i mean the past 
decade maybe sure <laughs> two decades even almost at this point so maybe not super current uh, it's but that there are a lot of games now right that are, are transcending that structure right yeah. and so that we don't necessarily have to think about the world as okay we've got this rich complex world that is there for these special people to move through yeah right we can we can look at the lives of other people or we can define who the special people are yeah. in different ways they don't have to be the, the special people who are good at shooting Right. Right. They can be the special people who are good at organizing other people or getting on with people or supporting people, right? And they can yeah. be interesting stories as well. It's actually something we sort of talked about in a panel I was in on Friday um, with Jabari Weathers. We were talking about every, every game is a language mm-hmm. and how the way that your mechanics interact with your fiction is a language. Absolutely. So, like, Dark Heresy is essentially a game that is, I don't know, trying to teach you German, Right. Where I'm using real world language as an okay. analog for this. Right, okay. Uh, I was like, is it literally trying to teach you no, German? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, no, I'm using analogs. So I apologize. Um, so Dark Heresy is a game that is trying to teach you how to speak German, right? So Dark Heresy is a game about investigation. It is a game about focusing on fine details. You're supposed to be these underpowered acolytes who go and deal with... This was somebody in my audience who brought this up, so f- feel free to correct me if I'm not... Uh, stating this right, but there are people who go and you know investigate problems so the big bads can deal with, or so the big guys can deal with them. And then the rules are giving you all of these big guns to take care of these problems, and there's no investigation system at all. So it's like trying to learn German from somebody who's speaking Polish. Like you're gonna have a little bit of crossover because they sort of border each other, mm-hmm. but you're not gonna have you're not learning German, right? The language is not suited for the game. And this happens a lot in cyberpunk because, uh, especially in cyberpunk games, in industry standard cyberpunk games, you're, it's supposed to be about like defeating, you know, working against the man and like finding your humanity in a technological world and, you know, struggling with questions again of humanity and of self and of connection because one of the themes of cyberpunk is isolation and you know struggling against isolation and then you wind up playing these very isolated characters who run these uh very gray legal or illegal missions for corporate entities and the corporate entities can't do them themselves because you know they don't want to get their hands dirty and all of the rules in cyberpunk are about, uh, well, for example, like in Shadowrun or in Cyberpunk 2020, most of the rules are about combat. Like, this was something I struggled with in Shadowrun when I played a face, because the social rules in Shadowrun are, are, at least in Shadowrun 4th Edition, were not great. They didn't really facilitate anything at all. The combat rules were like, bam, 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 very, very smooth, but the, the, the social rules were just like, how, how many dice? What? What's happening? What day is it? Who am I? <laughs> so it's it's trying to speak one language when really it's giving you this, this other language that it wants you to be speaking. And it's sort of following, as Lisa said earlier, this sort of same pattern of D&D where it's do the mission for the people, get the reward, pick up next mission. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where do we want to move on to? Oh, I wanted to talk a little bit about noodle shops. Because <laughs> I 
fucking love noodle shops. Before we get to noodle shops, did you have anything else to say on, on the punk thing, Kate? Okay. No, I feel like I've... Okay. You sure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't like steamroll you, did I? No, I just don't have anything to add to that. Okay, cool. Noodle- I want to talk about noodle shops noodle and cyberpunk. Because every game of Shadowrun I have ever played, our characters have a favorite noodle shop. And this has been with different GMs. This is maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just the person who insists on having a noodle shop. I don't know. But I'm I, also a big fan of noodle shops. Yeah. In games. But I love having the one little noodle shop that the characters come to, where the proprietor isn't rude, but they're like, "Look, you're my regular, and that's cool, but you can't be parkouring through the walls because I have to pay for that shit." It's not cool if you jump up on my table and yell parkour because then I have to get my busboy to wipe off the table and it's very, you know, it's someone who is very no-nonsense but also cares a lot about the players and gives them this sort of point of connection in the world and this is something that happens in most of my Shadowrun games is that the characters wind up having a favorite noodle shop or a favorite hangout like that. And that is something that I think is criminally underutilized in Cyberpunk. Just... What? So you do it every time, but it's currently currently under Yes. <laughs> do you, when you do it, is it a specific callback to Blade Runner? Because when I do it, it's a specific no, callback to Blade no, Runner. No. I just I love I love having this nice little place where the characters can feel warm and have this human connection. Because I know I'm probably right. not going to get it elsewhere in the mm-hmm. game. That makes sense. Um, so I actually wrote a Golden Cobra game this year. Didn't win. That's fine. But it's called Send Nudes. And oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's two zeros and a D. Send nudes, but um, you are playing two characters. You're playing either a service character or an outsider character. And the service characters have all these dreams and hopes and goals, and they're essentially the service staff of this noodle shop. And then you have the outsiders, who are literally just all cyberpunk tropes. That's all they are. And they come in, and they can like argue or flirt with the staff or whatever. But they can't do combat because if they start raising their voices, the staff has carte blanche to throw them out. That is the only combat mechanic in the game. Is if it looks like there's going to be combat, the service staff can just throw them out. And it's probably one of my favorite cyberpunk things I've engaged with to date because it's this thing that acknowledges that, hey, sometimes when we play cyberpunk, all we're really playing is Baylors. I really like the term Baylors. I think it applies here. But we're, we're just playing mechanical Baylors, right? And sometimes it's just cool to be able to play the person in the background who has to live within the system and doesn't have that luxury, actually that privilege, of living outside the system and has to be able to work with the tools that they're given instead of the tools that they take after stealing money from people who really can't afford to lose that money. At a certain point near the start of what you were saying, mm-hmm. Kate made a little face. And I wonder if she had a, a thing um, to say there. I love, I love the LARP you wrote. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing because I think it also addresses the fact that normally when you play that game and you have your favorite noodle shop, you've once again engaged with, we have heavily taken Japanese mm-hmm. uh, influence because of the uh, fear of Japanese corporations when Cyberpunk was being written. Uh, put it into the game and then once again relegated that to a background character where the white kids are coming in and hanging out um, and the noodle shop owner is kind of a, a stereotype. Right. Um, and then you took that and you're like, no, no, we're going to talk about those those people who work there. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think that's one way you can also make cyberpunk different is acknowledge that we 
had a fear of Japanese corporations when we wrote Cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were like, these, these Chinese ghettos look really fucking cool. We're just going to shove them into the setting yeah. of the game, even though they have nothing to do specifically with Japanese culture. Chinese ghettos look really fucking cool, though. Like okay, a, but it's a symbol <laughs> of poverty and oppression. No, I'm, yeah. I'm only saying that because I lived in a Chinese ghetto for three months in Chengdu. I think that's great. I think we can totally acknowledge the aesthetic, but we also yeah. have to acknowledge that we as white people yeah, are like, like, this looks cool. We don't want to talk about what this means culturally. Oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely. Um, and that's part of doing cyberpunk differently yeah. is not doing that. Yeah, like in the game that I wrote, I, I was totally agree by the way, but also that I realize that's a problem with me and I'm a huge aesthetic junkie. Like I just have Pinterest boards full of neon signs. Forever. For days. For days. You've seen, I think, yeah, I showed you them. You sent me them. They're yeah. great. They're so yeah. good. But you, I also try and sort of stay away from the more like, oh, this looks really cool because... There's a tiny kid peeking out the window, surrounded by neon signs and poverty, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to post that on my aesthetic, because that's, that is not the sort of aesthetic I am going for. Um, but let's move on a little bit, um, because Kate has this really amazing thing about retrofuturism and the outline that I want to get to before we end the panel, because I have been so off topic this panel, but I hope <laughs> you're all learning a lot. Um, so I think I might not be right. I'm not saying I'm right. I think if we're going to play cyberpunk games that were written in the 70s and 80s and 90s, um, just like if I play Fallout, I'm playing a game that's set in a retro-futuristic place. It's no longer the dark future of tomorrow. It's the dark future of the 80s. Right? It's not Mm -hmm. relevant today. I disagree with that. But I mean, if I wanted to play a cyberpunk game that's about the dark future, for me to do that would mean I'd have to watch Black Mirror and integrate that. I'm going to disagree I mean, with that slightly. Dark, so Black, no. Black Mirror has a very specific anti-technology take on the world. Not necessarily. There's oh, lots of I, episodes I, that I, like, uh, embrace it and show it as like a good thing. But I, I, think, I guess I haven't got to those. <laughs> oh, no, there's a couple that are really beautiful. Okay. I will fight a person over San Junipero, though. I'm not going to lie. That's my favorite. Right? I've, it's beautiful. I've heard that's good. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't got to It's that. beautiful. And yeah. it's about how technology gives you... Hope. Mm-hmm. It's, al- it's also cool. like the only Black Mirror episode I will watch because a lot of them are like, oh, this guy died like three seconds after he went into an electronics test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've only watched some of the first season, so I haven't got to I've seen all of Black Mirror yeah. multiple mm-hmm. times. Um, uh, I understood the point we're trying to make, so please carry yeah. on. Yeah, no, but I think cyberpunk as is, like in the way that it's addressed in the, in the 80s, is more, it's retrofuturism at this point. Yeah, so I guess my my pushback on that is that just because something isn't just because something is like is there a, I don't think there's any genre that isn't relevant. I'm not meaning it's not relevant. I'm <laughs> saying the fight against the man is not that fight. It's different now. Right. Sure. And if I want to play cyberpunk that's about fighting the man, I want it to be with current messages. Like right. cyberpunk yeah. of the 80s is pretty ingrained in a, some racist crap and uh, yes. God. I think cyberpunk would do amazing to fight racist crap but you need to address the issues and fears we have today yeah, with uh, that fiction uh, so my question there is about genre definition like is the racist crap essential to the genre nope 
no. then you can remove it and the genre still exists. Yeah, what, it, what I think Kate is trying to say with the whole relevance thing is not that, you know, it's not somehow important mm-hmm. or that we shouldn't tell those stories, but it's more like the punk of the 80s was addressing different issues than it is today. And so if we want to still call something punk, like if we still want to, something to be currently punk, then it needs to be updated. So if we're writing a cyberpunk game that is the fears of today, it's going to be more about the fears, you know, the rise of global fascism mm-hmm. and sure, the rise sure, of corporatism, yeah, yeah, yeah. as opposed to specifically the rise of Japanese corporations right, 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 and right. the end of isolationism. Yeah, right? yeah. But I don't think cyberpunk is specifically about, like, 80s cyberpunk is not specifically about foreign corporations. It does have a lot of messages. It does, a lot of but it's not, that's, that's a, I, I see that as, like, a set dressing on an anti-corporate like stance. You see, that's my issue with Shadowrun is I don't see that as a set dressing because uh, my degree is in international relations, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And my specialty is in constructivism. Mm-hmm. So even if it's just a set dressing, it's still reflecting sort of the fears of people, who, the sort of the fears or the opinions of people who, like, who wrote it because mm-hmm. the personal is political, mm-hmm. right? So you have as technology, which is a Mexican corporation that tears out the hearts of people mm-hmm, to feed mm-hmm. them to a dragon. Mm-hmm. And it's still this idea of brown people from the South have weird spooky magic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It would be a very similar thing if you replaced it with, I don't know, a voodoo corporation. Sure, right, right yeah, and that, yep, so there are absolutely those, right? And yeah. there's, uh, there's a couple of corporations that are specifically Japanese, but then there are the European corporations and the American corporations that aren't like that. I so I see it as like... Uh, anti-corporate okay. generally and I think that's, that's fair but I think we need to acknowledge as white people mm-hmm. we're allowed to look past that sure yep. yeah mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and when I talked to a bunch of my friends who went down to like play a cyberpunk game and we're going through it and this like fear of, of orientalism starts getting built into the games that we're playing mm-hmm. and they're like I'm sorry what's happening Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, right. yeah. Also, with like again, with like sister genres, with like vaporwave or outrun, you then have also this fetishization yeah. of Oriental mm-hmm. culture. Like, let's mix Japanese and Chinese characters in this neon sign because it looks sexy that's, that's and cool. That's in Geisha. <laughs> sure. Cyber yeah. Geisha. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely, absolutely. I would. Okay, my, I would play that game though. Like, if you're cyberpunk courtesans or cyberpunk dancers, cool. Just don't Orientalize them. You can punch me, it's fine. I'm not violent. <laughs> but my thing, though, there is that, like... You can Yeah, those things can come out. Not a right? Are those things essential to 80s cyberpunk? They can't seem to escape it. Yeah. So, so there was an, I, there was so an article... So cyberpunk that doesn't do that. Right. And because gaming hasn't really done that all that much yet. We're Which, not talking about just the literature here. We're talking sure, sure, about sure, cyberpunk sure. as an RPG genre. Yeah, it just yeah. kind of reminds me, there was an article relatively recently where somebody uh, was okay. talking about... Like how cyberpunk can't escape like Neuromancer and can't es- escape Snow Crash and can't escape uh, Ghost in the Shell and can't escape and it proceeded to list all of the things that there is so, that yeah. is the, like the mainstream without showing any indication that they had read beyond that. This and is, it was this like is, this, is, this, is, this is an interesting the interesting thing about this take is not that you are right or wrong it's that you clearly haven't read the things that you think cyberpunk should do no, because they exist no absolutely no, but I have. no no I'm not saying I'm not <laughs> saying this is not your <laughs> no, article no, no. this was like no what we're arguing with you is what we established Polygon at the beginning what we're establishing at the beginning of this panel mm-hmm. is that if people think that that is cyberpunk sure. there's still not enough mm-hmm exploration of what actually is cyberpunk, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Which is sort of the point of this panel, which is something I think we established several times 
and we're doing cyberpunk differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, one of the ways you can do cyberpunk differently is by, like, taking some of the basic tropes and removing some of the yes. problematic things, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, we're yeah. totally agreeing. We're in agreement. We are aggressively agreeing. Aggressively. Goddamn. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a... in this corner. <laughs> I think there's a semantic difference here that yeah. maybe is not... Like, no, it's okay. But it's, it's interesting <laughs> when you said people hadn't read beyond the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I was it, in that case. I was specifically talking about that. No, article. no, no, I wasn't no, no, no. About. But even with just that article, it's interesting that you pointed out with the mainstream, because these are they, these are still the mm -hmm. mainstream, right? Mm -hmm. These books that were written 20, 40 years ago are still the mainstream of cyberpunk, even though the genre is starting to move on from that. A lot of the audience hasn't. Yeah, there's a there's a um, uh, a book coming out soon um, that I wrote a piece for that is having a the the framing of the book is that cyberpunk has moved from a literary genre into a broader cultural formation is the term yep. that's used, mm -hmm. um, which we can see all sorts of ways. The cyberpunk aesthetic is everywhere, right? It's so um, good. And yeah, it's good. It's good from an aesthetic perspective, but yeah, it's it's worth considering it critically. Like, what parts of that aesthetic are we yeah, taking? Absolutely. Right? And what are we what are we using? And what are we ignoring? And what are we sort of erasing by um, ignoring certain brown people? We're erasing brown people. I mean, we're, we're <laughs> often often all sorts of things are being erased. Yeah, like um, something I'd really love to see is more sort of like Desi Southeast Asian cyberpunk, like Indian subcontinent, uh, Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. Sort of pulling in more non like Orientalist groups from Southeast and Central Asia would be amazing. Africans, African cyberpunk is starting to be a thing too, which mm -hmm. is fucking incredible because um, I think it's in Aberrant, which one of my partners is working on. The space elevator in, on the planet is in Nairobi, right? And Central Africa has just become this gorgeous like center it's be essentially become the silicon valley of the world because they just have this accessibility all to space basically and it's amazing and i strongly strongly recommend picking out aberrant when it comes out aberrant yes it's a superhero game but it does have a lot of cyberpunk elements to it we have about eight minutes left so if anybody has any questions comments concerns we are here for you. Yes. I think it was like you see modern cyberpunk, like punk front veins. Mm -hmm. of like the YouTube, uh, YouTuber with a whole million followers could do a lot more mm -hmm. good than any given project, for example. Yep. Because all they can do is blow up a building or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like decentralized social media is dramatically more important because you know, there's one guy running an app and actually being able to run it. Yeah. It's like taking people off of Twitter and off Facebook away from more toxic environments. Game to actually talk to each other instead of yep. over each other. How much so much of that is more about the connecting with people yep. versus like incredibly ineffective. Mm -hmm. The what do you call them again? The Baylors. Yeah. I'm just gonna keep that term Baylor. I good. love it's a good that. Good term. I, I like it too. Because it, um, it also because it's also got the literary reference too with like the Baylors from D and D. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you don't want to be in a room with a Baylor. No. Yeah. It's the kind of thing, like, there could be one in a group, I guess, and there usually is. Yeah. <laughs> like, in a con game. Oh, especially, trust, but, trust. You know, or, in a, or in a house yet. game. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and how. Um, so but, no, I, I love that sort of idea of having people do, like, social media presences or being influencers. Like, mm -hmm. uh, in Shadowrun, when you're the face, you're almost always doing it in person or through magic, mm -hmm. right? But you could absolutely be a face who's an Instagram influencer, or a, a Twitch streamer or a YouTuber, and that's something we don't explore. 
because it, it's interesting because we have this cyberpunk that's like because as Kate was talking about, we have this cyberpunk that's so sort of retro-futuristic, and we don't really have, um, we're starting to see it more, but we don't really have any mainstream cyberpunk yet that does the whole, like, you know, using tech we have. Hi, there, There okay. is a good um, analogy from <laughs> original cyberpunk games and stuff, though, in the mm-hmm. original literary genre, and that's yeah, the yeah. Rockstar. Okay. Uh, and so I was thinking about this because when you were talking about that, it reminds me of the pusher and the sprawl, which definitely can be that kind of character, but is modeled sort of both on that, but also on the idea that is, comes up in a lot of early cyberpunk short fiction in particular mm-hmm. uh, of the rock star who is using rock and roll yeah. to change the yep. world. Mm-hmm. I had a huge right? conversation about this the other day because someone's like, what's with the music in cyberpunk? <laughs> I was like, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the very first edition of Shadowrun, there is the rocker, yep. right, as a character archetype, which I don't think anyone ever played in any game I was part of. In Cyber Generation, Roche is actually one of the main leaders of the revolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it all. Oh, no, Johnny Silverhand, sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, right, in Cyberpunk right? 2020. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But they, yep. they took that into Cyber Generation because right. it's the same canon world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like one of the leaders of the revolution and is like leading kids towards right. learning how to rebel as a fucking rock star. And yep. that's a character class in the first Shadowrun 2020 as well and probably 2013 although I don't have yeah. a copy of that um, so but it's a thing that often gets dropped out in favor of the special dudes who are good at fighting people yes right and so much. this yeah. is a thing that exists in the early in the early yeah. literature but is maybe like kind of dropped away and can be brought back yeah um, it, it yeah one like if you take anything away from this panel it's literally just that there's so many conflicting messages in cyberpunk and one of the easiest ways to do cyberpunk differently is to focus on what about cyberpunk interests you mm-hmm. and then really build around that uh, can I give a shout-out real quick before we end to two yeah. Cyberpunk games that I yeah, think yeah, are please. doing interesting things? One is called uh, Tears and Kisses in the Rain, um, which is about uh, uh, the movie... It's, it's basically the uh, Cyberpunk take on the movie Streets of Fire, which is really about like individual people who are being oppressed trying to get out of the city, right? This is as yet unpublished, but you can sometimes play it at, at cons. Uh, Colin Jessup is running that. Okay. Uh, is writing that, and we're pushing him to get it done. So Colin, oh, man, are you going to Are you going to wreck Kira Magrin's game next? Yeah, did you want to? No, you should do yeah. it, and then I'm uh, going to freak out about it because it's amazing. Kira Magrin's game, Sync, which is about activists who are trying to sort of, like, work in their community to raise awareness about issues and then fight, like, little, small, local battles, right, which I had the uh, pleasure of playing at um, a con so recently. Good. And it's very cool. That's still in a development stage, so there's some yeah. the way that it actually works. But if you one. ask them very nicely, they might link you to the playtest document. I've read the playtest document and mm-hmm. continue to follow it, and it's set in very near future Miami. Mm-hmm. And just if you play it with a vaporwave or outrun playlist in the background, mm-hmm. it's just it's so aesthetically perfect because yeah. it's very it's very stultifying and very like almost claustrophobic but in this really elegant like way where you still have agency and your characters care so deeply about everything because the way the game is structured is the better you are at activism the more you care about things right and the fact that the game is about caring about things is fucking amazing Mm -hmm. another thing from early cyberpunk that i don't think people have done enough with so if any of you out there want to do that is drugs (laughs) Right. <laughs> I don't, don't think there's a cyberpunk kids. game that's about drugs yet, but there are tons of cyberpunk fiction early on that is about drugs. Yeah, oh, seriously, right? right? Like, so. like the technological in, like incorporation and enhancement of the human body through chemicals. So if you take two things from this panel, it's you know focus on what you love about cyberpunk and do drugs if you want. <laughs> 
Hi, Jason. Fiction by people who are not straight white men. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Please read yeah. anything by Alea Don Johnson. She's yes. fucking incredible. She's so good. What time is it? Two. Okay, cool. Thank well, thank you all for sitting in on this panel. I'm sorry we sort of like meandered around in circles for a little bit, but I hope you were entertained and you learned something. So thank you so much.